0: I like to celebrate. We don't celebrate enough, and this is not about my birthday. This is about what God's done at the church. I want to take a moment and just say a couple of amazing things have happened in the last couple of weeks. One, the men's retreat. I was not here two weeks ago. Our pastoral elder Aaron Coonsman shared with you uh, from, from, from Acts, and we were away having a men's retreat, and we had a men's worship service on Sunday morning, and it was an incredible retreat, and great things are coming from that already. Lots of emails, lots of plans being made, and uh, just blown away by the work that the Holy Spirit did. The thing that was very uh, pointed about that retreat is that uh, the biggest deal for me is that I had probably five sidebar conversations with people who said, I've been wrestling with God about this thing, and, and now I know what he's telling me. You know, hearing from God, receiving direction as to what he's calling them to do. And that just made me so glad that the Holy Spirit... Uh, reach some of our guys, and some of the things that that were decided you know have implications for, for the for like not only the person but their family and the rest of their life. so the work of the Holy Spirit was really evident, so I just want to celebrate that and love Saratoga. you guys did awesome. you guys did awesome uh, last Saturday and i 'm just really thankful that you are behind the vision that we have set to to provide a place where people are comfortable enough and receive enough hospitality that they'll stick around and hear the gospel, the good news of Jesus Christ. Uh, We had probably more volunteers than we've ever had. We had uh, just a great energy from everybody, from the Holy Spirit working in them, and we had, uh, uh, it was just really a great day. So thank you so much, church family. We We are trying to fulfill the Great Commission here. It's all about that commission, to reach our Jerusalem, Saratoga, the capital region, New York, the United States, to the ends of the earth. And all uh, at the instruction of our Savior Jesus who called us to this and empowers us by his Spirit. So we celebrate during Holy Week Jesus' triumphant entry into Jerusalem. But the weird thing about that, like I said, is, is that we're celebrating Jesus Marching resolutely to his death on the cross, the suffering that he bore in his person, uh, which which we know as believers, uh, he bore for us in our place. But we follow Jesus down this same road in this life sometimes. In, I like how Matt Redman says it in his song, "Blessed be Your Name, Blessed be Your Name," on the road marked with suffering. Though there's pain in the offering, blessed be your name. I know I talked to several people this morning. The holidays bring up this time of of remembering people that we've lost. You know, and whether it be six months, a year, 10 years, 20 years, that grief is still there, that suffering, that that absence. But Jesus is familiar with our suffering. Jesus uh, certainly suffered on the cross for us. And he, because of, of God's knowledge of what it's like to suffer, even to the point of death, and not just death, but torturous, violent death, you know, God understands our suffering. And he fellowships with us in our suffering. And he invites us to follow behind him on the road uh, to Jerusalem, uh, knowing that God has a purpose and that God will work all things out for our good if we love him and are called according to his purpose. So this life, it's not easy. But the hope we see in the story of Jesus is that if we follow Jesus, though the road is very difficult, we have God, and it's the only road, by the way. (laughs) So we don't really have a choice anyway. It's the only road. And so I just want to to encourage you, if you are grieving, if you are suffering, uh, this side of eternity, things are not as they're supposed to be people often ask the question, why does God allow good people to suffer? To which I say, everyone suffers in, the, in this side of eternity. And it's a very difficult thing to deal with. But we know that Jesus suffered also. And he calls us to follow him with the knowledge that uh, something that he did, something that he did when he died on that cross and rose again was win a victory over sin and death, which was in seed form, which is right now spreading throughout the earth, and one day will culminate when Jesus comes back and establishes his kingdom in full. So we see in part, someday we will see in full. And everything we see on Easter week is is just a, a picture of that hope, of that future kingdom. Uh, there's a scholar, o- Oscar Coleman, who... Observed that what God did on Easter is very similar to in World War II uh, on D Day. If you're familiar with World War II, people that study history, uh, they know that although Victory Day was May 8, 1945, the war in Europe was essentially over almost a year earlier, or uh, June 6, 1944, in Operation Overlord when a thousand ships a huge armada of ships carrying 200,000-plus soldiers stormed the beach of Normandy and came uh, into there and fortified the place. And it was only the beginning of this military buildup that was so gigantic that there was no way that, the, that Germany could ever stop them. So a year before the war was over, victory was assured. It was just a matter of time. And that is what Jesus has done on the cross. When Jesus died on the cross and rose again, he declared victory over sin, death, and darkness. And Satan and the powers and principalities of darkness no longer have authority over those who follow Jesus. We are set free from their power and any other, uh, and, and we only get sucked back into the darkness when we believe the lies of the enemy in our lives. But on, the, on that day, uh, Jesus declared victory. And he, and he said, this isn't This isn't the end. I'm going to come again. And right now, the kingdom of God is like a mustard seed. We're planting it in the ground. But someday, my justice, my peace, my holiness will fill the earth, and everything will be set right. Until that day, we see glimpses of it. But let me assure you, it's only a matter of time. Victory has been assured at the cross. And though we suffer in this world, and we follow the, the the Messiah who suffered, and even suffered down that path as he was setting his face like a flint for the joy set before him of saving us and calling us unto himself. Though we suffer like Jesus suffers, it's not the end. It is uh, it is a temporal existence, and one day we are going to be set free from that when Jesus comes and fulfills his kingdom. So we're going to read in John twelve. I just want to read this passage for you. John twelve twelve, And this is Jesus setting out resolutely on his mission. It says, the next day, the crowd, the great crowd that had come for the festival heard that Jesus was on his way to Jerusalem. They took palm branches and went out to meet him, shouting, Hosanna! Save! Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Blessed is the King of Israel. Jesus found a young donkey and sat on it. As it is written, Do not be afraid, daughter Zion. See, your king is coming, seated on a donkey's colt. At first his disciples did not understand all this. Only after Jesus was glorified did they realize that these things had been written about him and that these things had been done to him. Now the crowd that was with him when he called Lazarus from the tomb and raised him from the dead continued to spread the word. Many people, because they had heard that great... Heard that he had performed this sign, went out to meet him. So the Pharisees said to one another, "See, this is getting us nowhere. Look how the whole world has gone after him." I I I, I laughed when I when I read the end of that passage because there is just no hope for the religious pe- leaders that wanted to squelch out Jesus and try to wipe him from the face of the earth. The people that had witnessed him raise their friend from the dead to life were there saying, "Yep, this is the real deal." There's just no, no backtracking from that. So this is the best evangelistic posse. It would be like if you brought a deceased person here and the church prayed for that person and they came to life. That would be an amazing miracle. And I, I don't think there was much that could stop uh, what Jesus did. But this image of, of Lazarus rising from the dead was just a little shadow of what would happen just a few days later when Jesus would die on the cross for our sins and be raised to life by the Holy Spirit. And the thing that strikes me so much about this passage, when I read this passage and I read the parallel passages in the other four Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, is just the precision of God in these final days. And I think that the people who who were witnessing... Uh, the events as they unfolded, they were confused. It might have seemed haphazard to them. Like, what's going on? The disciples were confused. So if the disciples were confused about what was going on, you can bet that everyone was confused when they saw uh, this, this man ride into Jerusalem who clearly had the power over death to raise someone to life. Uh, and they, they, they believed he was going to, to declare victory over, the, over their uh, captivity, overthrow the government, and establish himself as king. And then he went to the cross and died, and then rose again. It was a confusing time for people, but according to God's wisdom, it was precision planning. God had a plan. God was in complete control, and he was fulfilling his plan in a very deliberate way. So the only question I have this morning is, what is God's will and plan that was unfolded so precisely at this moment. And this is something I really felt God calling me to articulate really clearly for all of us so that we understand what we're talking about when we talk about Jesus going into Jerusalem, when we talk about Good Friday when he died, and then Sunday morning when he rose again. What are we talking about? What is happening in this? God's will and plan. The Bible says, all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God, except for you, of course, Right? All have sinned. And the wages of sin is death. That's Romans 3.23 and Romans 6.23. We as a people have all sinned in every way, from who we consider to be the best of us to who we consider to be the worst of us. Every person has fallen short of the glory of God. And every person, regardless of how virtuous we consider them to be and how good of a person or a nice person we consider them to be, all alike are under not only sin, but sin's power. And all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. And for this reason, we all deserve nothing but death, punishment, and eternal separation from God for that sin. It's a heavy thing. It's not something that can just be dismissed. Uh, So why is this? The reason is because our God is pure light, it says in the Bible. In 1 John 1, 1.5, God is pure light. In him there is no shade of darkness, and he does not shift like changing shadows. He does not, he's not inconsistent. He doesn't stumble. He doesn't get anything wrong. He's perfect, right, holy, and pure in all of his ways. And sin, the sin that all of us participate in, is an offense to God's character as a holy, pure God. And it cannot be allowed to stand before him. It can't. Something has to be done. Sin has to be paid for. And we are unable to pay for it. Even our best deeds that we do are like filthy rags when held up to the glory and the beauty of Almighty and Holy God there's certainly no way that we can pay for our sins that we've all participated in. So this is a dire picture, but something we often lose the gravity of uh, and think too little of. Because the thing is, though this is our situation, because of God's great love, because God is love, you understand. God is love. Because of his great love for us, while we were still dead in our sins, while we were still enemies of God, the Bible says, while we were outright rejecting Him and saying, I want no part of you. I want no part of you. In fact, I'm going to go the opposite direction. While we were in this most oppositional place at that moment, because of our great God's love for us, that's when He died for us. At that moment. You know, perhaps when someone offends you or hurts you, you can, you can muster up the, uh, the, the, the fortitude to forgive them or restore them if they will grovel enough, right? If they, will come, if they will come to you in enough humility, then you'll pardon them, perhaps. But God is so good and God is so loving that at our very worst, while we are dead in our sins, That is when God died for us. And I want you to know that when God, if you are a Christian, if you know Jesus, if you believe in Jesus and you are saved, God knew what he was getting into with you because he knows everything. He knows everything you've done, thought, since the moment you were born. and He knows everything that you will do and think. And he saved you anyway because he loves you. He's a really good father. And I often, I often encourage myself with those words when my, when my heart condemns me and my conscience gets overactive. God knew what he was getting into with me and he saved me anyway. God knew I was going to relapse. He saved me anyway. He loves me. While we were dead in our sins, Christ died for us. And when Jesus died on that cross, which we will be looking at this Friday, um, God provided for us a covering, a washing, and a cleansing from our sin and everlasting life in him. So when it says that uh, if you declare with your mouth that Jesus is Lord of your life, you believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. When you put your faith in Jesus for salvation and don't lean on your own goodness or works or what have you, uh, at that moment you receive a covering for sin, so it's covered, uh, you receive a washing from sin, even a blotting of sin, like a, someone with a bleach on a little rag hitting a stain over and over and over again. You receive the whole deal. And not only that, it says you receive, you, you receive everlasting life in him, from everlasting death and condemnation to everlasting life, all through looking to Jesus. For the one who believes in Christ's substitutionary uh, death on the cross for them. In other words, he's substituted for you because he loved you. And you understand, Jesus and God aren't different people, right? Jesus is God in human form. So God is holy. God is light. In the him there is no darkness at all. S- humanity's sin is, is an offense to God's character. So what does God do about it? Because God is love, he himself takes the punishment for, for sins against him on himself for us. It's this amazing work that God did. And, uh, and uh, when we look to Jesus Christ's substitutionary uh, p- sacrifice in faith, our sins are washed away. It says they're covered by God. He forgives us of our sin, past, present, and future, gives us a gift of salvation and eternal life through faith in Jesus. This is all an offer to anyone. And there are no unforgivable sins either. Different religions, different churches, uh, different different belief systems in this world say you need to do these certain things to be absolved of your sin. You need to do A, B, and C. You need to, you need to, you need to do these certain amount of good works. You need to say these, these different mantras. But Christianity is unique in that it's God's work from first to last. It's not based on human effort. Uh, and God did it because he loved us. God offered himself as an atoning sacrifice for our sin, that we might become children of God. This is God's will. Uh, God wants a people for himself. Sin separates people from God. God makes a way for sinful people to come to him so that he can have a people for himself. And it says, uh, how great is the love the Father has lavished on us, that we should be called the children of God, and that is what we are. God has called us his children. And he has created us to, to be in relationship with him, to love him with all of our heart, soul, mind, and strength, and to love our neighbors, to love our neighbors as ourselves. This is what God is calling us into, to be his people, characterized by love, the same love that he had when he gave his life for us while we were still dead in our sins. So Easter, it's a big deal. This is why all hinges on. Jesus established a kingdom on this earth, and he overturned the powers of sin, death, and darkness on the cross. And someday he will bring his kingdom into fullness, and there will be justice. There will be light. There will be peace. There will be holiness and righteousness, and there will be joy. There will be joy in this world Ah, when Jesus fulfills his kingdom. But until that time, anyone who looks to the name of Jesus and his sacrifice on the cross in their place will be saved. That's all it is. It's by faith that you're saved, by grace. It's not of yourselves. It's a gift of God. As the worship team comes forward, I want to lead you in in a prayer. And if you have never placed your faith in in, in Jesus Christ for salvation, uh, this is a prayer for you. And this is the only road. There is no other name under heaven by which men, women, and children can be saved but Jesus Christ. There is one, only one road. So it's, people think, you know, I don't like that God makes only one way. Well, he's God. <laughs> he made one way. And, uh, and it's a generous way because all you have to do is believe. All you have to do is have faith and trust in him and trust in his sacrifice and you're saved. Um, So we're going to pray together. And I invite you if, you, if you know the Lord this morning already, that you would intercede for those who don't in this room and also for those in Saratoga, Albany, New York, to the ends of the earth who don't know Jesus. Father God, we, we come before you, and uh, we all recognize that we are uh, we have sinned and fallen short of your glory. and that that sin separates us from you. We also recognize that you who are rich in love came to earth in the form of a man, Jesus, and you took on yourself the punishment due for our sin, that we might be saved through his work, not our work, by the gift of God. So Lord, if anyone is praying along with me, I say this, Jesus, I recognize I'm a sinner because I've participated in uh, in this world, in its sin. And I recognize my need for you, Jesus. I pray that you would forgive me of my sin, cleanse me of my unrighteousness, blot out my iniquities. And I pray that you would uh, put your spear into me and teach me what it looks like for you to be the Lord of my life, for you to be calling the shots, for you to be making, uh, making the decisions about what is right and wrong, good and bad in my life. I surrender to you. I thank you for releasing me from the condemnation and weight of my sin. In Jesus' name, amen. And if, you've, if you've prayed that prayer, talk to me today. Talk to me. I'll go, I'll go somewhere. <laughs> I'll go over there or over here on the couches. Come and talk to me. Please join us in this closing song as we worship our great God who out of love for us gave everything that we might know him.